Welcome to this ASVO podcast on yield assessment. This podcast is part of an ASVO series looking at current best practice in the vineyard and winery and what's on the horizon. Assessing the size of a crop is just as important for grape growers as it is for the winemakers. How though can you make sure that's as accurate as possible? G'day, I'm Drew Radford and to find out requires a deep dive into the importance of maintaining data over a number of years and also a look at the future opportunities for non-human assessment. Winemakers are at the pointy end of yield estimation. What comes over their waybridge has many flow-on effects. To find out what those are, I'm joined in the ASVO studio by Louisa Rose, Chief Winemaker at Yolumba Family Winemakers. Louisa, thanks for your time. Uh, You're very welcome, Drew. Louisa, when fruit's coming in, what are you looking for in terms of trying to be sure regarding quantity? Of course, winemakers don't expect much. They expect um, everything to be perfect. So we want perfect grapes and we want uh, exactly the number of uh, grapes and, and bunches that uh, that we're expecting. It sounds a bit glib and, and it probably is, but really there's so much that's at stake at that point in time when the grapes are coming in that I think within 5% either way would be uh, pretty perfect really. Louisa, you said there's so much at stake at that particular time. Why is it so important to get as close as possible to what you're expecting? Well, there's all sorts of reasons and it's everything from the stress level of our people working in the cellars and our vineyards to our plans for, you know, selling wine this year, next year. And in some cases, the grapes that we're picking, are, you know, we're planning on selling it five, six, even more years into the future. So there's obviously, you know, a financial cost to it, which interplays with all of that as well. In the medium term, we do uh, a lot of planning is around wine sales and forecasting. And for most wineries, that's trying to match up. This is how much we think we can sell in our horizon of sales forecast, whether that's three or five years. And therefore, we need to buy this many grapes or grow this many grapes to make that certain wine. And anybody that's involved in, in growing grapes will know that you don't just grow grapes and any old Shiraz will do for any wine. Those grapes are grown specifically, you know, intended specifically. They're pruned, grown, thinned if need be, watered, canopy managed, everything for the end product that those grapes are, are needed for. And so the earlier you can start doing that, the earlier you can plan to do that, well before the grapes even start to shoot is really important. And that's all, all tied up with how many grapes we think we're going to get from that vineyard in any particular year. We really rely on those yield predictions and assessments to plan vintage on a day-to-day basis, you know, scheduling people, scheduling equipment. We have to make assumptions on yields quite early in the season for ordering things like dry goods and additives, making commitments to our international customers. And in fact, these days, we, you know, we're doing a lot of that before we've even had bud burst for the coming vintage, much less uh, you know, little baby grapes on the vines. But that's where the, the longer term averages and the importance of keeping the same data each year to know what those averages are. That's why that's so important. Louisa, looking at the quantities coming in, as a grower... You would think more would be better, but I imagine that would also have flow-on problems as well. Absolutely it does. Too much or too little are both real issues, and both real issues for the grower and for the winemaker. You know, obviously we want to have optimal fruit, and this is really important. What's optimal fruit is absolutely intrinsically linked to the winery, to the wine product, to where we want those grapes to go. Every winemaker is going to have a different idea about what optimum is for a particular variety. 
And I know it's difficult and we try to explain this to growers, particularly if you have a grower that grows for more than one winery, because they don't necessarily understand why we might want to pick something two weeks earlier than the winery down the roads. And they go, well, which one of you are right? And of course, depending on <laughs> where you are in, and who you are making that decision, sometimes they think, well, you know, you guys are just being difficult. Obviously, you just have unrealistic expectations compared to the other wineries. But of course, the grapes are fundamental to the style and what that wine ultimately is going to look like. And at the end of the day, that's how we all manage to compete out there on a world scale because, you know, we're all subtly doing something different. So when there's too much or the grapes come in overestimate, this can cause an absolute cascade of problems. If the grapes come in in the night and they're crushed, it ties up more equipment than's planned. An example of that is in red wine making. A typical red fermentation, and very much dependent on winery, of course, but let's say it will take between seven to 10 days. So the grapes that come in on a given night tie up the equipment they've gone into for that time, for over a week. If there's more that come in, we might need to tie up another red fermenter that night that was planned for the next night or the night after. That means that we might have to cancel other grapes that we're ready to pick in that next week. Red fermenting equipment is incredibly expensive, so wineries don't just plan on having a whole uh, extra 50% just because we might have a new vintage. It's really critical in terms of scheduling. There's many other things during our vintage which have, have similar effects, but probably red fermentation is the most critical. And so what does that mean? It means that other grapes might get too ripe to be used for their pram product, or they might not be at their optimum quality. And for the grower, it might also mean volume loss as their grapes get a bit too ripe. So some varieties such as Shiraz, for example, as it gets over a certain ripeness, given dry conditions, those grapes will start to dehydrate and to shrivel and they will lose tonnes. So there might be a double whammy in that is that they're losing tonnes and we're actually not getting the grapes at the ripeness that we want. So there's a flow on for, and probably not for the grower that, uh, that brought too many grapes in, but for the poor people that are shunted down the queue because of the next night or the next night after that. If we can't take the grapes when they're optimal, you know, it's disappointing for wineries and winemakers. Uh, you know, we always feel that there's an opportunity lost when the fruit isn't at its optimum. It can be really disappointing for a grower if they don't know they've got more grapes than the wineries accepted to take because it might only be at the middle of the night that they realise that they've still got a third of the vineyard that they can't pick because the winery may not take it. Now, if they'd known that, you know, weeks or ideally months in advance, they could have found an alternate home for that or we could have negotiated at the winery to bring it in at a different time. Louisa, there's a lot going on there in terms of flow-on effects. I imagine counter to that, turning up with not enough is going to create problems as well. Yeah, so not having the grapes you expect is also a problem. It probably doesn't have the immediate cascading effects of how are we going to get our vintage through, but it can have a, you know, one of the immediate effects is that sometimes vintage happens much quicker, we don't have as much work to do, and so some of our seller hands that, you know, are relying on that experience and that time to earn the money so they can travel somewhere, used to be overseas, for another vintage, you know, they just don't have that opportunity, and that can be really disheartening. And in fact, even if they're still here, if people haven't got work to do, it can be quite disappointing. So from a winery staff issue, it can be an issue. Of course, from a winery sort of budget point of view, you, you budget for a certain amount of people and you've already employed them, so you have some obligation to them. So you might end up paying more people for more hours than actually you needed. So if you knew it was going to be a low vintage and you couldn't go out with time to find more grapes to bring in, you would schedule less people. You would schedule a shorter vintage and, and you'd be planning for that. Louisa, you mentioned earlier on optimal fruit. Are quality and yield connected? 
Really good question and probably one that we'll be debating in this industry forever. <laughs> it's a bit like the question of what actually is quality and quality is, is in the eye of the beholder, of course. So are quality and yield related? Uh, fundamentally, yes, um, in some varieties more so than others, in some regions probably more so than others. But that's a big picture issue. As far as getting close to vintage, I don't think it should be necessarily related because winemakers should be in the vineyards they should be tasting the grapes, you know, maybe with the grower, maybe on their own, but they should be assessing the grapes as are these going to meet our expectations for the wine that we want to make out of them. At that point in time, it's actually about each individual grape and how it tastes and how it looks. And when you squash it up, you know, is the colour going to be there? We've started to take some measurements. So hopefully we, you know, we know that those grapes are fit for purpose. At that point in time, we're assessing the quality, so the quality is okay. The, the issue with not understanding the yield, apart from all the other things I've said, is really being able to predict when those grapes are going to be ripe. So if I think those grapes are at a yield of, let's say, eight tonnes per hectare, and I know from history, from the previous vintages, when I've tasted those grapes at a similar time, I go, yeah, they're two weeks away from being ripe at that yield. But if the yield's 50% more, then they might be three weeks away. That's going to upset all of the scheduling. Or if it's less it might be you know, only one week away from being ripe. Or we might assume it's going to be two weeks and I'm actually, we actually miss that optimal ripeness because I haven't gone back into the vineyard quick enough to see how quickly it's ripening. So it's a fundamental piece of information that we use in our modelling, but we also use it in our, in our brains to sort of predict when things are happening. That's Louisa Rose, Chief Winemaker at Yolumba Family Winemakers, who, like all winemakers, is very focused on ensuring that the quantities delivered closely match what was expected. Dr Mark Whitty has been working on projects that aim to get these figures as close as possible. He's senior lecturer in mechatronics in the School of Mechanical and Manufacturing Engineering at the University of New South Wales. And although he does very high-tech work, our discussion started by focusing on terminology. The most common term is yield estimation. However, it might be safer to begin by describing everything we're talking about today as yield assessment. When we talk about yield prediction, that obviously has a predictive or a forecasting component, whereas yield estimation is more about what happens or what's available at a particular point in time. So we make assessments in the field and that's really what is done. We also try to make some predictions about what will happen in the future. Mark, I imagine the issue here or the challenge is there's so many variables between making those assessments and predictions and when it's actually harvested. Absolutely. So there's all of the variables that are produced by the vines themselves, so the flowers, the bunches, the berries... Those things that in many cases are only observable after bud burst, but there are also the growth mechanisms. So how do the flowers develop? How are they pollinated? Fertilization of the berries and the flowers and the fruit set, and then how the berries actually grow. And all of these can impact what the final yield will be. Going beyond that, there are a number of environmental factors that you can certainly appreciate will influence yield and that would include temperature, wind, rainfall that will influence the growth of the plant as it goes along. 
in addition to those things that are within the plant, there is also the environment that's below the ground level. So variation in soil type and of course the water that's available to the root systems below the ground. And so there are so many of these different aspects that we need to measure in order to have a better idea of the final yield that that is a very great challenge for us. So being able to predict that reliably in commercial vineyards based on quick and easy observations is our major challenge. Well, I think that's almost a bit of an understatement, Mark, in terms of the number of different components that are involved. But does it distill down to some sort of best practice? And if so, what is that? So it depends what size grower that you're dealing with. But in many commercial vineyards, the estimate will be based on some kind of averaging or longer term historical approximation. And that really depends on what kind of records that the growers are keeping along the way. It's absolutely critical to get to the best practice level and to drive that forward that growers maintain their data so that it is independent of the personnel that are collecting it, storing it and managing it. So that means that there need to be processes in place to ensure that the data collection is carefully managed and done consistently. Where is the data collected? When is the data collected? How is the data collected? And how you measure what actually ends up at the winery and to some aspects the composition of that fruit. Secondly, there needs to be a consistent method for storing that data. If one year you're putting it into a spreadsheet and then another year you're using an online provider and then another year you've got it written down on some papers somewhere in the office and then another year you're storing it in text files in your computer, being able to aggregate and put that together is impossible without some consistency. And then thirdly, we need to have some consistency in how the yield calculations and estimations are done. That means that if you use certain inputs at certain times in one season, then you should be measuring those same inputs at the same times each season. And I appreciate that there's a lot of time required here. And there's a lot of demands on growers' time, particularly when all these measurements are needed but ensuring that there is consistency around doing those calculations is also very important. Once you have in place the data collection, the data storage and management, and the calculation processes, then you can use data over a period of years more consistently. And it allows the data to be provided for external parties, if necessary, to help aggregate and provide services in this manner. Mark, what I'm taking away from this is human variability is to a large extent problematic. So I'm guessing taking that out of it, the human element out of it, would be advantageous to get more accurate results. If you were to take the humans right out of it, then there will be challenges as well. However, having tools that can assist humans 
in minimizing that manual count and ensuring that it's done consistently would be of great value. So if there are solutions which allow the automated collection of the data, so for example, while you're driving through doing some other operations, uh, slashing, perhaps spraying, then if there is sensing available to do observations during that operation, you're not increasing your time or labor cost to do that data collection. And of course, there are tools there to do continuous data collection, weather station data, soil moisture probes, for example. Mark, you're an engineer by trade and you're specialised in mechatronics. What sort of R&D have you been involved with to try and ensure more accurate results? Yeah, there were a couple of projects funded by Wine Australia starting around 2014, which looked over a period of about three years at this problem of yield estimation. We had one that we looked at how we could collect the data and process it more efficiently. So this was applying image processing techniques using consumer cameras like GoPros and testing mobile phones in order to collect the data efficiently. We found across four trial blocks that the combination of the sensing data plus predictions could outperform manual yield estimates at all of the stages we collected data. And on that small-scale trial, we had an error rate of, on average, 5.5% from flowering. Of course, once you get later in the season, with a greater level of occlusion, that causes challenges for what you can actually observe, particularly with Aussie sprawl-style canopies. We started by scanning the block with GoPro cameras at the shoot stage, and combined that counting of shoots with individual photos from mobile phones of inflorescences on a small marked number of bunches at flowering, pea size, and harvest stages. The overall shoot stage videos gave us an understanding of what amount of shoots there were, from the photographs of the individual bunches and the number of individual bunches per shoot, we could make a clearer prediction of effectively how many flowers or uh, florets and how many berries there were at those different stages. And that does involve some field counting, but it's far less tedious than pulling apart the berries and pulling apart the inflorescences to do berry or floret counting. The challenge was managing all of that data, and so it wasn't something that progressed through to a commercial stage. Although there have since been some providers that are offering services that are very similar in terms of collecting and processing imagery data. There was a similar project by Steve Van Sleiter at Macquarie University, who looked at block level yields based on weather. And that project found that the strongest predictors for yields were the average yield for the block, historically, unsurprisingly, in combination with the weather around, before and after, but close to the time of flowering. The two best performing models only used three weather variables to help predictions. 
But the most accurate predictions for a single grower were within 10% error, while the least accurate was over 20%. As we've hinted at earlier, the challenge here has been the consistent management of historical grower data. Without that, no matter how good we try to train the models, there's the common saying that garbage in, garbage out. If there isn't good data going into the training process, you won't get a good model out. So making sure that the data is consisted and recorded over season to season is really important. In summary, these were two projects that moved the state of the art forward in sensing and weather prediction. Are we there yet? I would say not quite. As we hinted earlier, being able to have the right data in is critical to whatever method is used for doing the yield estimation. That was Dr. Mark Whitty from the University of New South Wales. How close, though, are non-human assessments? Dave Gurner is Wine Australia's Ag Tech Program Manager, and he joins me in the ASVO studio. Dave, it seems a lot's promised. But does experience meet that promise? Yeah, thanks, Drew. The short answer is not yet, really. The industry is making great strides towards this, but the problems that Mark has pointed out still need to be addressed. There are some really fantastic technologies utilising cameras such as GoPros and mobile phones and, and, and other cameras which are commercially available and off the shelf, but the application of those are not yet available on a commercial scale. There's also a lot of difficulties in, in being able to image bunches in a canopy, especially later in a season and especially in Australia where canopies are, are big and they very much hide the berries inside the canopy and cameras and drones and UAVs can't see those berries. It, it then becomes very challenging to be able to do a yield estimation on bunches. But what we do know is that that technology is emerging. It's coming along in leaps and bounds. It'll be solved very soon. And I think the messaging that we're hoping to send to growers is for them to keep accurate records on their vineyards. And you know, when this technology is available, it's going to enable them enormously by having good, comprehensive, accurate records. The satellite imagery challenge has been there for some time, but again, these are the technologies that are getting better every year. The resolution of the cameras are, are getting better and the ability to process that and plug these into machine learning models, etc., they're coming along. You know, every year we're seeing much better results from that. So it's not that far off, but not there yet. I imagine producers will be watching this space very, very closely. Wine Australia's Ag Tech Program Manager, Dave Gurner, thank you for joining me in the ASVO studio today. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Drew. This ASVO podcast is part of a series funded by Wine Australia. ASVO's mission is to advance technical knowledge and promote excellence. For more information, visit asvo.com.au.